Welcome to Podcast at Boatwright. I am Lucretia McCulley, Head of Scholarly Communications at Boatwright Library. Our faculty interview is with Dr. Ed Ayers, University Professor and President Emeritus. Dr. Ayers is the author of The Thin Light of Freedom, The Civil War and Emancipation in the Heart of America, published recently by W.W. Norton. The book conveys the final years of the Civil War in the Great Valley between the Blue Ridge and Appalachian Mountains by focusing on average, resilient people trying to survive the devastation around them. Ed, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So to start off our conversation, what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, it's hard to remember inspiration for as long as it's taken me to do this, but You know, I was never a historian of the Civil War. I was never really interested in the Civil War. I was never a buff growing up. We didn't play that in East Tennessee where I asked my grandfather one time why we never talked about the Civil War. He said, son, we shot each other (laughs) and up in the mountains. And so that was not a part of my thinking about who I was. But what I do focus on is telling the story of as many people as possible. Um, and I'm sort of a child of a 1970s social history in which sort of the democratic promise of including women as well as men and black people as well as white and civilians as well as soldiers was sort of the reason I got into history in the first place. And nothing is as well documented as the American Civil War era. Suddenly, people who would have remained silent in the historical record have written letters and diaries and sermons and their military records and all this So I thought, well, if I really want to get as broad a range of Americans as possible in the story, uh, it'd be good to look at the Civil War. And then one day I was driving in the Shenandoah Valley, and I was just thinking, as I always do, how beautiful the place is. And I saw a sign for a a battle in the Civil War. And suddenly the 23rd Psalm came to me, the Valley of the Shadow of Death. You know, a place so beautiful, devastated in the war. So I had the title before I had anything else. And the idea became, well, let's figure out how Americans on either side of a line on the ground, who had the same soil, the same climate, the same crops, the same religions, the same ethnicities, could grow to hate each other enough in a matter of a few months that they would go to war for four years. And the answer's not obvious. And so that's how I got inspired to do this, is try to include everybody in the story and try to make the Civil War a problem that we needed to solve, to make it seem mysterious and a little bit strange rather than, oh, yeah, we know how it turned out, and yada, yada, yada. And so I've been pushing against the grain of the received stories now for all this time. And I'm sorry to say that was uh, <clears throat> 1991 that I first had that thought. And uh, I thought, well, that's not hard enough. Let's make it even harder, and let's build a digital archive that would include every piece of information about all the people who live in a Virginia county and a Pennsylvania county from 1859 to 1870. And this is before the web existed. And so, but thanks to my friends in the library back in Charlottesville, they told me about something called SGML, which we decided stood for, sounds good, maybe later, but actually <laughs> stood for Standard Generalized Markup Language. Uh, which turned out to be the mother of HTML. And so when the web came along about 18 months after we started, we were able to get on the web almost immediately. It took us 14 years to build that archive uh, to include all those sources. Um, And so we started that in 93. In 03, I published volume one of this story, which goes from John Brown's raid to the eve of Gettysburg. 
But then I was dean at UVA, and then I came to UR, and I had a great time, but this book was just kind of idling in the background the whole time. And every summer I would steal away or actually stay at the president's house until one o'clock or something in the morning trying to write some of it just to kind of keep it alive. I described the desire to write it as an illness. I didn't want to get better. And so when I finished up the presidency and I had my first year of leave in 14 years, I sat down with this online archive and wrote it. So that's a long answer about what inspired me, but I had to be inspired over and over again. The good news is that we didn't figure out the Civil War in the meantime. <laughs> and so this volume, which goes from Gettysburg through the end of Reconstruction, is wrestling with a whole different set of questions. Mainly, how was it that the largest and most powerful system of slavery in the modern world came to an immediate, uncompensated end and was followed by the most ambitious effort to create a new world based on rights for the formerly enslaved people. And we've sort of gotten used to, yeah, that was Civil War and Reconstruction, but it's a very powerful story that's not really been told with both the war and Reconstruction in the same frame. So um, I think that in the meantime, of course, the Civil War has come back one more time to kind of trouble us. And uh, so the book comes out, you know, at a time when maybe some people who wouldn't be interested in the Civil War think it might be worth thinking about. Well, thanks for sharing your story on that many years of scholarship. Right. right. Very, very impressive. Well, what issues could this book help the University of Richmond community address? Well, I'm sorry to say that it could help us address one of the big problems that we're facing right now. I'm on the commission to figure out what we do with all the monuments in Richmond about the Civil War, and everybody knows what happened in Charlottesville and the, the agonies that places all across the country are having. And so whenever I'm talking about this book, everybody wants to ask me about the monuments, and I can't really express an opinion because I'm on the commission. I'm listening to people. We've had over a thousand people write us with their thoughts about what we might do. And so when I go out and talk about it all the time, I say, here's the deal. I will argue with whatever you tell me. Whatever position you take, I will tell you the opposite. And people are kind of taken aback, but I haven't gotten in trouble yet. But, you know, one thing about talking to lots of people, you hear how, how powerfully people feel across the whole range of this. One thing they don't think about very much is what actually happened in the Civil War. Mm -hmm. uh, people mm -hmm. like to just go ahead and project on these monuments whatever they think, whatever they wish they said. And so you put these two volumes together. It's about as highly granular a story of the Civil War. It's in Virginia here, so it, it sort of tracks the struggles that our own state had with it and that our own city had with it. So I hope that it would be useful in all the people in civic engagement who are thinking about how do we position ourselves in this effort to redefine our culture, our, our history all around us. I'd hope that in the, th the thin light of freedom would help with that. You know, anybody who's thinking about war, uh, I did everything I could to make the war feel palpable and terrible. And the book's hard in that regard. Uh, they did an audible version of it, and the, the uh, actor who was reading it said that the producer was crying on the other side of the glass while he was reading it about some of these scenes. And I can't, you know, yes, I, I think we've kind of trivialized the Civil War. It's turned into sort of the gray team versus the blue team. Mm -hmm. um, and we've lost a sense of just the enormity of the cost, the weight of it. And also uh, to have us glimpse what it was like to be living in slavery 
and to try to become free with nothing but the shirt on your back. So I think of people who are teaching any class really about social change, struggle, civil war, wherever it may be, maybe there would be something there that would be of help to them. And then thinking about students, how would you envision students here at the University of Richmond or other institutions using this book for their study and research? Well, as we all know, one thing we're proud of is that Richmond brings people from all over the country and all over the world, Uh, but everybody lives in Richmond for four years, and they have to figure out, well, where is this place, Um, and what does it mean, and what are those big statues, and what does it mean to be the capital of the Confederacy or the center of the slave trade? So I would hope that um, this book could help orient some of those students who were coming from the other side of the world and trying to figure out what this place might be, or coming from Massachusetts and trying to imagine, well, what does it mean to be in Virginia for all this? So I hope it would help kind of get people oriented about the landscape that they occupy. You know, Richmond's famous now for craft beer and all these kinds (laughs) of things, and it just seems to be divorced from the historical city. And yet the historical city is apparent all around us, including its current consequences. So I think it might be useful for a broader range of students that would normally be interested in American history to read because it's about the world that created the place where they're in college. And our last question, how did libraries and archives support you in writing this book? Well, I kind of gave you a foreshadowing of that by suggesting that this book is impossible without librarians. You know, I'm now probably the oldest living person who's thought about digital history since its beginning, so I, I keep being brought out to, oh, well, I remember before PDF files <laughs> existed and things like that. And it's true. Uh, when we began the Valley of the Shadow, you didn't have any of the things that we've just grown to take for granted. And, you know, everything was over a 2400 baud modem, and the idea of being able to see any image on a computer screen seemed like an alien idea. Um, and nobody had ever done anything like this before, so it was librarians who taught me and all of us really about um, ways to manage information so that computers could read it and dispense it. So the Valley of the Shadow began in the library at UVA. And frankly, after I left UVA, they spent a couple hundred thousand dollars to go back into the Valley of Shadow and check every link, every primary source so that it would endure. So The project hasn't been touched in 10 years, and yet it still works. So I was using it as hard as I could every day for a year writing this book, and I couldn't break it. And it has, and for the geeks out in the audience, imagine a flash map from 1999 that still works, that hasn't been touched. That's amazing. (laughs) Isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, everything else, you know, is, is ASCII text and XML, so it's built to endure. But it's a little hard to resist the temptation to go back and jazz things up because it looks like 2007. But I think that until we figure out how to build digital things that are as enduring as our books, mm-hmm. uh, that it's going to be an impediment. So I'm on the record saying that librarians are the real heroes of the digital revolution. Uh, librarians have reinvented their entire field of study, renamed their schools, uh, reimagined how they would do these things. And it's time, I think, for scholars to kind of catch up. Uh, You know, historians are really ambivalent about this because our discipline is so empirical. It's based on lots of evidence. Computers are really good for all that. And being able to see all these primary documents is groundbreaking. 
But on the other hand, we haven't figured out how to translate it back into a form that lives naturally in a digital environment. No butter box a monograph as much as a historian, <laughs> right? And I like them too. But I think that if we can sort of keep up with a librarian friends and think about ways to reimagine scholarly communication so that we can do new things. I'm really proud to say the Digital Scholarship Lab here, which I, I helped start, but which I don't really do anything to create this incredible work that they do. Uh, they have a brand new site that's going to blow people away about urban renewal that's just now coming out. And we're doing some of the most sophisticated scholarly communications in the world. Uh, you are, uh, and undergraduates working with it. So everything that I've ever done, um, even before the Valley of the Shadow, is entirely reliant on archivists and librarians and all the skills that they have. So thanks. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. And we'll see what the future will bring. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Ayers, for your conversation. The Thin Light of Freedom, The Civil War and Emancipation in the Heart of America is available in Boatwright Library and the University Bookstore.